You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. This past Wednesday was an incredible Wednesday, uh, just gathering with so many of you guys for our night of prayer and uh, worship, man, it was just phenomenal. If you, if, if you have time this Wednesday night, man, carve out 6.30 to 7.30 right here in this room. Um, man, God's doing some really cool stuff. A lot of tears, a lot of prayer, a lot of cool things happening um, in, in, in this series. I, I believe God's just gonna do some cool, incredible things. Last week, we started this series, we're calling it Previval, and uh, essentially we talked about what revival is, what it's not, and we, we came to the understanding that revival is not something that we can create. It's not something that we can manufacture. And so uh, it, it's a sovereign work of God where he just reignites our passion for his word, uh, a, a passion and desire to know him in a deeper way. And so uh, if that's true, then what we can do is simply to prepare for that movement. And so as we prepare for a movement and an awakening of God that we believe he wants to do, then and that just simply means that, okay, we need to pray and seek the face of God. And that's where we landed last week. And we were recognizing just the value and just the intensity at which we need to seek his face and, and pray. I love the story of John Wesley. He was one of the pastors God used in the Great Awakening back in the mid-1700s, especially in England and, and then into uh, America. There's a story of, of how in his house there were two uh, deep impressions in the floor where it was said that he would, he would kneel in prayer consistently. Um, his house turned into kind of like a museum. People would go and, and just visit it. And in 1940, uh, there was a group from Wheaton College that went to tour uh, this house. And uh, as this group of young men went through the, the house experiencing it, they, they began to leave. And, and uh, the professor realized that there was one student who was still missing. Uh, one straggler, and so he goes back into the house to, to uh, find this young man, and then he goes up to the young man who is kneeling in the same impressions that John Wesley would have knelt in, and he put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, Billy, it's time to go, and up rose Billy Graham, and later he would write and say that his prayer in that moment was, God, do it again. Do it again, God, just like in the first and second great awakenings. Let us, let us see your power and let's see you do something incredible in the lives of your church. And folks, if you wanna experience God, if you wanna experience the power of the Holy Spirit, then we've gotta pray the prayer that John Wesley prayed, pray the prayer that, that Billy Graham prayed, and we've gotta get rid of how other Christians have impacted our lives spiritually. We've gotta get rid of our baggage and all the other misconceptions that we might have about God and truly seek the face of God, humble ourselves and in prayer with a passion longing for him to change us and to send revival. Uh, last week I read the quote that I love. Charles Spurgeon uh, uh, wrote this. He said, what can a hammer do without the hand that grasps it? And what can we do without the spirit of God? And that's kind of like the backbone of this series, just a reminder to us like, a blacksmith might, might take a piece of metal and put it in the hot forge and it heats up. That, that metal can sit on that anvil and just kind of flame out and just kind of sit there. Nothing happens to it of any value 
unless the blacksmith picks up the hammer and uses the hammer to shape that metal into a beautiful piece of artwork, into a sword, a knife, whatever it is he wants to shape it into. And, and the point, the idea is that as the church, as followers of Jesus, we are that hammer. You can do nothing. I can do nothing on my own apart from the Spirit of God working in me and apart from God picking me up like a hammer, picking this church up like a hammer and swinging it for his glory to make use of it and to do something that's gonna impact the lives of this community around us, that's gonna change my heart first and foremost, that changes your heart and then pours out into this community to make a difference for his kingdom. And that's what I long for. That's what this series is about. I'm, I'm challenging you to pursue God like never before, to pray for revival. As a church, uh, we, we started last Sunday. We've got a 21-day prayer guide. You can get on our app. You can get on our website that kind of directs your prayer, directs your reading of the scripture. We're doing that together. We're meeting on Wednesday night to pray and seek the face of God. Uh, I just believe God's gonna do something incredible this year in your life and the life of this church and in this community as a result of us pursuing God uh, like never before as a church. So we're learning. Okay, prayer is important in this endeavor. Prayer is, is needed. We've gotta become men and women of prayer. And the issue that we, we, we have is, okay, well, how do we do that? And last week I said prayer is a learned habit. We learn how to do it by, by actually doing it. We learn how to do it by watching and learning from other people. And the greatest person in the history of the world to learn how to pray from has gotta be who? Jesus. Yeah, we're in church. Anytime the pastor asks a question, it's either Jesus or maybe Moses, but it's one of the two, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, he, he's the one. And, and so he shows us what that looks like in Matthew chapter six. Let's turn in your Bibles to actually begin to read. This is gonna be kind of a two-part sermon. So we're gonna get half of it today. Next week will be the second half as we look at Matthew 6. And, and uh, this is gonna be a familiar passage for those of you who are familiar at all with the Lord's Prayer. But we're gonna start in verse five of Matthew 6. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be here on the screen. And here's what it says. These are the words of Jesus. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So he says, look, don't be like the hypocrites, right? And so, you know, there are hypocrites all over the place and in the church, and we, we know that, and, and we've all kind of struggled with that as followers of Christ. And one of the evidences of a hypocrite is, hey, look at me, I'm super spiritual. And then to like not actually live it out and to not actually have, you know, a passion for the lost and have a passion for those who are far from God. And so he says, don't be like that. Look, that's, that's not what it's about. He says, truly I say to you, they've received the reward, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Let's just pause there for a minute. Let's, let me point out a few things that I think are huge, 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 huge as it relates to our prayer life here today. And the first thing is this. I think Jesus expects you and I to actually develop a habit of prayer. So when he says, when you pray, Jesus is making the assumption that you are going to pray, you are gonna to want to pray, you're gonna recognize your need for prayer, 
and he assumed that we would develop a habit consistently of prayer. Now, the reason why I think we can, uh, he can make this assumption that, that we're gonna pray, which is a pretty big assumption, isn't it, that you guys are just gonna pray, we're gonna pray regularly, it's gonna be a habit, right? The reason why I think he can do this is because of what the New Testament teaches us. 1 Corinthians 13 says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the temple of God dwells in you? So as a follower of Jesus, if you have truly experienced salvation, if you have turned from your sin and you've given your life to Christ, you've given him the authority of your life, that means that the Holy Spirit now lives within you. And a result of the Spirit living in us is that there is a desire to pray. There is a desire to be in the things of God. The Holy Spirit in us begins to develop holy loves. It's, it's, it's a decrease in love of the world and it's an increase of love of the things of God. Things like his word, uh, being and serving in his church, being and making disciples around us, right? So this is what the Spirit does within us. You can't manufacture that. The Spirit just makes us have this longing. Now, as a follower of Christ, you maybe have experienced seasons in your life where you're just like super excited about prayer, super excited about church, and then you've experienced moments where it's like become boring or it's become kind of routine and, 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 and you're just kind of like not feeling it, right? So we kind of ebb and flow emotionally and, and spiritually like that. But as a follower of Jesus, there's one thing that remains. Because the Spirit is in you, there's always that reminder and recognition because the Spirit inside of you is, is, is telling you, you need to pray. You're missing out. And so when you hear me talk about prayer, as a believer, no matter where you're at spiritually, there's something inside of you that's going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I need that. I want that. I long for that. Why? That's evidence of the Spirit working within you. In Romans chapter eight, verse 15, Paul says that the Spirit in you causes you to cry out, Abba, Father. And what he means by that, that, that word Abba is an Aramaic word that we don't even have a, a translation for in English. And so the best that we can kind of come up is just kind of envision your three, four-year-old, you know, and when that three, four-year-old daughter or son cries out to you as Dada or Daddy, and he, he doesn't know you fully. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't actually you know, uh, understand love at that point, but there is just something inside that little three, four-year-old, two-year-old that just cries out, Dada, Daddy, and there's that love and that intimate kind of connection there that our children have with uh, and, and to a father, and that's the kind of idea. He says the Spirit is living within you, and that Spirit is crying out to your Daddy, to your Heavenly Father, and, and, and he gives us that longing to want to connect to and with him. And that calling comes from the spirit within us. So if there's no desire to pray in your life, if there's no desire for the things of God today, then I would just sit back today and I would encourage you to kind of look at your conversion experience. Have you, did you really experience a conversion? Have you really experienced uh, a change in your life that the Holy Spirit did save you and transform you. Just a question we all wanna wrestle with and we all wanna think about. But if the Spirit is there, if he's within you today, the desire is there on some level. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He inspires us and brings that out. I believe that those who are believers, you wanna pray more. You know you need to pray more. Like I need to pray more. I'm not, gosh, I'm nowhere near 
where I wanna be in my prayer life. And so that desire is there, but what do we do? How do we go about it? I think that's the issue. We often say the same words over and over again in our prayer life. And when we say the same words over and over again, we get bored. And then when we get bored, there's, there's, there's just this like, not, prayer isn't a life-giving habit. It's not a life-giving moment for us. It's kind of like a to-do list, or it's kind of like a thing I know I gotta do, but I don't really know how to do it, and I'm kind of bored with it, and, and when I try to do it after about you know, 30 seconds, I start thinking about something else, you know? I, you, you've been there, you know, I've got a window in my little office deal at home, and so I'll, I'll put my Bible out, I'll get, get my coffee out, right? I've got my plan, I got my journal, like I'm a pastor, right? This is gonna be a moment with the Spirit of God. <laughs> and I look to the Word, and I read a little bit, and then I bow my head in prayer, and then I hear my neighbors walking their dog. <laughs> What's going on out there? I need to walk my dog. You know what, I'm a terrible dog owner, you know? Now all of a sudden I got Brutus on a leash and I'm walking him in the yard. I'm like, I was supposed to be in prayer and here I am, I'm walking the dog, right? Why? Because we're distracted really easily. We get distracted, we need a plan, we need a habit, we need, we need help. And everybody in here needs help to kind of dial that in. And, and we say these things over and over again, which by the way, just makes it feel like less inspiring. It makes us feel like, man, we're just, we're just not making an impact and, 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 and we're not experiencing the power of God that we have been told we're going to experience when we pray. So what do we do? How do we overcome this? Well, in verse six, Jesus takes another step closer to the answer. So the next step for us is to realize if we're going to experience this moment, we've gotta determine a time and a place to pray. Like before we go into the hows, before we answer some of these questions that we're wrestling with, we need to determine a time and a place that we're gonna pray. Here's what he says, remember it. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. In other words, that prayer life happens when nobody else is around. Then your Father sees what is done in secret. He's gonna reward you. He'll answer your prayer. He's gonna reward that moment that you're giving to him as you seek and pursue him. But the, in your room, Determine a time, determine a place is huge. Time and place, time and place. Why is a time and a place so important? Well, just like when you practice, if you're in a sport or you're in the you know, band or whatever, your coach, your director never just says, hey, we're gonna practice sometime this week. Y'all show up whenever you want. That wouldn't work. He or she expects you to show up at a certain time at a certain place to hold you accountable to that and to actually get the work done. So a time and a place, where will you do this? Will it be in your room? Is it gonna be you know, on your front porch, in your basement, wherever it is, in your office at work? You've gotta determine the place that you wanna meet with God every day. And you need to determine a time that that's gonna happen. This is just basic human nature. Without this, you're, you're gonna continually suffer and you're gonna continually miss this opportunity to grow in your faith. There some great books that are out there on the power of habit that you could read. Um, Charles Duhigg wrote a good book on the power of habit. Uh, Atomic Habits is another great book on, on just the human nature uh, and, and just kind of scientifically how we work as human beings to create a habit. So a desire to lose weight, a desire to eat healthy kind of hits us all in January, right? New year, okay, I guess we gotta think about it, right? But so many of us don't do anything about it. Why? Because we don't, we don't do the things necessary to develop things as, as habits in our life. And this is one of those things. It is the most important thing as a believer, as a human being. 
your, your time with God. It's more important than your diet. It's more important than going to the gym. It's more important than making money. It's more important than anything else you'll do. Like going to God in prayer and developing this on a consistent basis is the one thing that will change your life more than any other spiritual discipline in your life. So what do we do when we go to our room, when we go to this place and we pray every day? If we miss it, we know we, you know, we missed it. So I put it in my phone, I put it in my calendar so that I get the alert, I'm reminded, that way if I miss it, I know. And, 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 and I don't look at this as a guilty thing, like, oh man, I'm a terrible human and I've gotta do this. No, the way that I motivate myself and I think of it is I'm missing out. I'm the one who missed out today. I don't, I don't pray and I don't read my Bible because of some legalistic challenge that a pastor gave me or that my wife is making me do this. Like, I'm the one that misses out. And so when I miss a day, and I do, I'm a, I'm a miss. Consistently, I'll miss. And if I do, I don't beat myself up for that. I'm not beating myself up if I don't read everything that I'm, some of you are perfectionists and you got boxes you gotta check and man, you're meticulous. And, and that, could, you know, that, that could become hypocritical. Like I'm doing this to check off a box to make me feel good about myself. To where I wanna get to the place to where, I, I, man, I just know that I'm missing out. And so my desire is I, I wanna do this. If I miss it, I'm not gonna beat myself up. I just, I'm just gonna know that I missed it today. I missed something that, that God was gonna use. And so tomorrow I'm on it. Tonight I'm on it, right? And, and, and when I get in this moment, what I wanna do is I want to value the, the concept of reflecting and thinking. Because in a fast-paced culture like we live in, it's bzzz every day, right? You know, your work, your practice if you have kids, and your, your games, and your this, and your that, and you're constantly busy, and work, and work, and work, and then, oh, I wanna have friends, and oh, I gotta get busy to, to go on vacation, or busy to go do something fun, and I gotta constantly keep myself busy, and when I'm at home, I wanna be busy watching Netflix, and I just kinda wanna zone out, and we're constantly busy on these things that don't really matter, but we busy ourselves making us feel like we're doing something, and the one thing that's keeping some of us from growing this year is just pausing. Hitting, hitting the pause button and reflecting and thinking about your life. Let's reflect on 2019. What a great time for us to reflect. What happened? What'd you miss? What'd you wanna see? 2020 is here. What do you wanna do? We're like, let's put down all the excuses, right? Let's stop blaming people and let's just go vertical here with God for a moment. Like, what is God calling you to do in 2020? We put together a, a review a reflect and think guide. And we put it on our app. It's also online. I wanna encourage you guys to go home and do it as homework. Um, do it, if you're married, do it with your spouse. Do it with your small group, your friends. Uh, do it with your kids. Uh, I've done this with my kids for many, many years now. I, I write everything down in my journal. And this time every year, we go back to what we wrote last year and we look at the things that we said and why. This, I hope, is kind of developing that, that concept of reflecting and thinking if you never reflect and think on the things that God is doing and wants to do, you're gonna miss out on growth. Getting older doesn't make you wiser. Making a lot of mistakes in your life doesn't make you wiser. Reflecting on your mistakes, thinking about your mistakes, reflecting on this past year, thinking about this last year is really the thing as you pray through it, God will answer and God will grow and God will bless and God will open your eyes and you can begin to guide your future. So I encourage you to download that and to take a look at it this week. Um, here's the third thing that he says. The third thing he says is pray creatively. 
So I take that from verse seven, which says, don't heap up empty phrases. Pray creatively. Don't be the guy that just recites the same phrases you've heard your whole life, right? Because if you're doing that, that is gonna feel lifeless and it is gonna feel pointless and it will get boring, right? Pray creatively. We've all heard these prayers before, haven't we? God, be with us this week. I mean, come on, God is everywhere, isn't he? I can't go anywhere where God's presence isn't there, so why do I have to you know, throw up an empty phrase that God be with us this week as we go to school and as we go to, he's gonna be there. That's an empty phrase. God, just put a hedge of protection around my family. Right, you've heard that. I remember growing up praying that as a kid, like God, hedge of protection. I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> what is it? It's, it's a, a row of bushes. <laughs> like I want more protection than that. I want like the stone brick wall and like the iron gate protection, God. And my favorite is, God, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. That's gotta be the best one, right? I mean, as we crack open this fried chicken, Lord. <laughs> this all-you-can-eat wings, God, may, may the buffalo sauce reduce my cholesterol. <laughs> that's, that's a prayer, right? So, so we do, we offer up these these uh, sentences that we've learned from people and we recite them and they become empty phrases and Jesus says, no, 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 be, be more creative. And so here's one of the problems. I, I, I think as believers, I think, you know, if you're a believer, you're, you might be with me. You might be like, okay, I get it. I need to pray more. I, I, I have kind of experienced the boringness and I, I do kind of say the same thing and, and so that's kind of not exciting and, and that's probably what adds to this level of not not you know, having a creative, dynamic, life-giving prayer life. Um, but here's the deal, I think we can change that. I think you can change that. And it's not because you're praying for the same things. Some, some people say, oh, I pray the same things and that's why it gets boring. No, we, we do pray about the same things. If you're married, you should pray for your spouse. If you've got kids, you should pray for your kids. You should pray for your leadership and your spiritual growth. These are things that we should pray for consistently, but the difference is, 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 is a little unique. Think about it in terms of your meal plan this week. Like, you're gonna eat every day, right? But your meal plan is gonna be diverse. You're not gonna eat the same thing every day. Like, as a good Christian, Chick-fil-A is probably in your rotation, right? If it's not, we need to pray for you. <laughs> but if you eat it every day, you're gonna get tired of it, right? You can't eat it every day. Some of you are about four out of five days, seven. You, you could do that. But eventually it's gonna get old. So the same is true with prayer. Like you can pray for the same things, just pray creatively, which brings some life. So how do you do it? Well, one of the easiest ways and examples to actually pray in a dynamic way is to pray the scripture. So one of the habits that I do is I read through a psalm and whatever the, the day of the month is, today's the 12th, I might read Psalm 12. I do this with Proverbs as well. And as I read that chapter, um, I can then go back and pray that chapter. And as I pray from scripture, the words that I'm seeing, now all of a sudden, like every verse has turned into a prayer. Now all of a sudden, my mind is not gonna wonder so much on you know, what's happening through my window because I'm reading these verses and I'm praying them as I, as I read through them. 
Not only are you gonna begin to do this, but now you're, 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 your mind is not wandering and now you're, you're thinking about God more. You know, time flies by, so now all of a sudden a five-minute prayer is turned into 10 minutes and you didn't even feel that 10 minutes. It like flew by. The verses are gonna speak directly to your current situation. Always blows me away. Whatever I'm facing as I read and I'm like, man, that's exactly where I'm at. You're gonna feel closer to God. Anxiety will begin to decrease. Why? Because you are now consuming yourself with the things of God. The petty things of the world begin to die down as you look more intently at the word of God. And so it's really unique. If you wanna read more about this, Donald Whitney wrote a book called Praying the Scriptures. Very helpful little, little book. You could, you could read it in about an hour and it will teach you how to do this. In fact, this Wednesday, I'm gonna model it to you. We're gonna, we're gonna do it together. So I think this has the potential to transform your prayer life if you begin to actually implement this as a habit. Now in verse eight, Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask. Now think about that verse for a second. If Jesus knows what we need before we ask, now there's another layer of prayer that we can start to think about it because now all of a sudden, prayer is not just, Lord, give me, give me, give me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. and Bless her and bless her and give me that and make sure they get that. And Now all of a sudden, prayer isn't just a gimme list or a wish list because he already knows what we need. So he says, look, you don't have to spend a lot of time there. I already know what you need, right? And then we would go, well, if I don't pray for stuff that I want, then what the heck am I supposed to do? <laughs> like that's all I do is ask for stuff. Well, here's what he says. He says in the next verse, this then is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. This isn't a prayer that you're supposed to memorize and recite before your ball game. This isn't a prayer you memorize to recite before anything. He doesn't say this is like what you're supposed to memorize. He says, this is the model. In other words, look at this as a guide, as a model for your personal prayer life. And so what does he start the prayer with? He says, recognize who you're talking to. He says, our Father in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, if you're a King James dude. So recognize who you're talking to. You see, we're talking to our heavenly Father. So when you look at the Old Testament, it was written over the course of thousands of years. And all throughout the pages of the Old Covenant, God is only referred to as Father seven times. Now, you look at the New Testament, he's referred to our Father over 150 times. So there's been a shift. Like in the Old Testament, he's creator, he's sovereign, he's our shepherd, all, all these great images. But for whatever reasons, they didn't just approach God as a father. But Jesus comes on the scene and totally transforms everything. And he says, look, I want you to go to God as your heavenly father. Now, why? How can we do that? It's, it's all throughout the pages of the Bible. God is a personal God. He's not just some cosmic force that set the world in motion and started spinning it and just went about his business. He is a personal God. He knows every single person in this room. He knows every single thing that you've done. He knows every single sin you've committed. He knows everything about you today. He knows every problem that you're experiencing and he loves you. He cares about you. He wants more for you. He's a personal God. He's not just some power. He's not just some force. 
right? We don't pray to God and then at the end of our prayer say, and may the force be with you. Like we don't do that because God is not a force, he's a person. And his name is Jesus. And he is a relational God and he wants a relationship with you. What a blessing it is to have an earthly father that you can go to and ask questions and, and be encouraged by. But what even a greater blessing it is to have a heavenly father that you can go to at any moment and he has a listening ear. At any moment in your life, you can run to him with every problem you have, every need and every concern that you have on your mind. Now, here's the issue. One of the problems that some of us have to deal with is that for some people in the room, the word father is a curse word. The word father brings up all kinds of bad memories, brings up some bad conversations, some hurtful times, some negative thoughts, some difficulties, because there are some deep father wounds that perhaps your dad instilled in you. So when you go to God in prayer and you, you, you start with our Father in heaven, you might pause and think, if God is anything like my Father, no thank you. The truth is, human fathers play a major role in how you connect and how you relate to God. And it's why fatherhood is so important, it's why it's so valuable. It's why the, the, the scripture is clear that, that fathers are to be the spiritual leaders in the home. Some of you realize that, that perhaps you, know, you need to grow. You understand, man, I need to grow, but what's holding you back from taking your next step is not a problem that you have with God or the Bible or other churches or other Christians or other pastors. The problem might be your relationship with your dad or maybe your lack of relationship with your dad. And maybe that's why God brought you here today, so that you could begin to recognize that it's, it's not his problem or their problem or what they did or what they saw, but it all kind of began with your relationship with your dad and what that began to do in your heart and how it's, it's beginning to and has inhibited your connection to him. If you grew up with a dad that was an unloving father, your dad didn't care, then subconsciously, perhaps you're gonna be prone to think that God doesn't care about you. And if my own dad doesn't care, then how could this God who I can't even see actually love me or care for me? If growing up, your dad was an unreasonable father, you might tend to think that God is unreasonable. I can't do everything he wants me to do. There's no way I can fill in the gaps here. He, he expects too much of me, so just forget about it. Maybe you grew up with an unreliable father and your unreliable father began to teach you that, man, can't trust him. So now your view and kind of your thinking is that, well, I can't trust God either. In fact, if you grew up with an unreliable father, chances are you're kind of predisposed to worry and anxiety. You worry a lot more. You're a lot more anxious in life and a lot of that is connected to the father wound that perhaps you experienced as a kid dad was unreliable. Maybe you grew up with an unconcerned father. He didn't really care about you. He didn't really talk to you. He was there. He was present, but you didn't really connect with him. And so your understanding of God is just kind of like, oh yeah, I mean, he, I believe in him. He's there, right? He's there. I mean, of course, it had to be some kind of creation event, but he doesn't really care about me. I'm not really connected to him. He's just kind of there. 
Maybe you grew up with a, a dad who was unpleasable. And uh, no matter what you did, you weren't good enough. No matter how hard you tried or, or what you did, it just wasn't good enough. There was always something more you could have or should have done. And as a result, you've kind of, again, it's, it's a subconscious kind of thing. You, you, you begin to think in terms and, and think of God as, as this God who is just unpleasable. I, I can't do enough for you. And so you walk around with a lot of guilt. You walk around with a lot of shame and, 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 and you feel like God is always upset with you because you just, you can't measure up. Just like to your dad, you couldn't measure up. And so all this unnecessary guilt and shame just kind of hangs over you. Maybe your dad was a pampering father. And so whatever you wanted, boom, you got it. Money was not a problem, so you were spoiled and you got the cars and the clothes and you got everything you needed. You were super spoiled. And so as you grew up, you started to relate to God. You started to see the real world and the real, real world kind of sucks sometimes. <laughs> and you don't always get what you want in the real world, right? And because of that, God is just some big old meanie and he doesn't do what I want him to do, Right? God's just a Santa Claus in the sky that's supposed to give me everything I want. You see, your father plays a big role in who and, and how you connect to God. Statistics from the National Center of Fathering say that 57% of African Americans, 31% of Hispanics, 20% of white children grow up without a dad. It's no wonder so many of us have a hard time connecting to a heavenly father when we had no connection with an earthly father. But can I tell you today, and, and that the spirit of God would just settle this in your heart right now, God cares for you. He loves you. He is a caring father. And no matter what you've experienced growing up and no matter how you've navigated through that, maybe 2020 is a brand new year for you to envision and to think about and comprehend and begin to understand the love and the power of God's love in your life. You know, the truth is, you and I don't have the brain capacity to really truly grasp how grand God's love is. Here's what scripture says. I love this verse in Ephesians 3. Paul's praying for the church and he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, power within us as a church. Great prayer to pray. I could pray that for us right now. And the reason why he's praying this is that we might grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ is. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ is so deep, it's so wide, it's so immense, it's so amazing that it surpasses our knowledge in the sense that we can begin to understand it and grow in it, but there will never be a day in your life where you can touch the depths of God's love for you. You'll never get there. It's too grand, it's too deep, it's too powerful. <laughs> That's how much he cares about you, how much he loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've experienced, right here, right today, God cares for you. I love the story in Mark chapter four. Jesus is with his disciples. They're on a boat and they're in the sea and a big storm kind of blows in, kind of like last night. Anybody's power go out last night? Kind of some storms, some tornado warnings and stuff. It's always a little freaky. And so here's Jesus. He's with the disciples. The storm hits. The disciples get really, really scared. Jesus is in the bottom of the boat. You remember this story? What's he doing? He's down there sleeping, 
right? So I don't know if the disciples are just super wimpy, like, you know, or Jesus was just really, really tired and needed a nap. I don't know, but evidently the storm is here. They're genuinely afraid. And they go down to the bottom of the boat where Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up and they say, Jesus, don't you care? <laughs> don't you care if we drowned? And Jesus is, I can just imagine him, you know, rolling his eyes a little bit. He goes upstairs, goes on the boat, calms everything down, and all of a sudden the storm passes and everything is, is grand. And the disciples look at him and they go, whoa, whoa, who is this guy? I can just imagine that there's some people in the room coming at the end of 2019 and I can just kind of relate to you on some things that happened in my life. And I've gone to God and I've just kind of said the same things the disciples have said. Don't you care, God? You were in the hospital room with me. You heard the news. Don't you care? There's probably some married folks in the room who are expecting miracles to happen and transformation to happen and healing to happen in your marriage and it's just not happening and you're probably thinking, God, don't you care? There's probably some young people trying to figure out, hey, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do with my life? Maybe finishing college, maybe taking that next step and things aren't working out the way that you had hoped they would work out. Maybe finding that significant other just eludes you. God, don't you care? You've been praying to have a baby. You've been praying for a new job. You know, on and on and on and on. You're praying for all these things. Nothing is happening. And for some of us in the room, like we're right there with the disciples and, and some things have happened and we're like, don't you care, God? Where are you at? And the answer is yes, he absolutely cares. And he actually cares more about it than you or I will ever care about it. That's a truth that settles my heart. God loves my kids more than I love my kids. He loves this church more than I love this church. He loves my life and my future more than I love it. And the same is true for you. In fact, here's what the New Testament teaches us. Cast all your anxiety, all your worry on him, on Jesus. Why? He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. Can you receive that today? Like he cares for you. He knows exactly what you're going through and he cares for you. Now, if you're gonna learn how much God loves you, if you're gonna take your next steps spiritually in your life, then, then hear this today. You're gonna have to relax. You're gonna have to rest in the presence of God. You're gonna have to get to this point to where you stop worrying about the marriage and you're worried about the baby and you're worried about all of this stuff and you've gotta to get to the point to where you can actually rest in the presence and power of God. Stirring yourself up and worrying about things that haven't happened yet or might happen are never gonna solve anything. It's only gonna add stress to your life. God wants us to slow down and rest and relax in his presence. In many ways, Prayer is a way that God's spirit calms us. Prayer is that way that God's powerful peace begins to infuse in our soul, in our presence. It goes into our bones. It goes into our physical condition. And so we need it. If you go any other world religion, it's gonna tell you to meditate. It's gonna tell you to do this, seek God in these areas and ways, you know, 
you can, you can practice meditation, and, but it's all a biblical teaching. Like God told us to meditate. He told us to do all of that, right? So Eastern religions kind of get the credit for that. But this is what our heavenly father is calling us to. He's calling us to slow down. He's calling us to rest. Does God care about your grades? He does. Does God care about your future spouse and how that's gonna work out? He does. Does he care about the kid's situation and are you gonna be able to have kids? And I, He does. Does he care about the, the loved ones in your life that are no longer around? He does. No matter what it is you face, he, he cares. He, he wants us to cast that anxiety, that worry on him and the, the method, the avenue that he gives to us to do that is prayer. So it's simple, develop the habit of prayer. Determine a time and place. This is when I'm gonna do it, where I'm gonna do it. This is the time I'm gonna do it. And when I get into that moment, I'm gonna reflect, I'm gonna think, I'm gonna begin to pray creatively. I'm gonna begin to understand who it is I'm talking to. And on that journey, God's presence and power fills you. I love what Tim Keller says about prayer. He says, God's answer to your prayer is exactly what you would do if you knew everything that God knows. I love that. But there's an element of trust if we are to believe that. There's an element of trust that God is good. He is caring and he is always going to do the right thing and the best thing for you. Can we trust in that? The only way we can get there is when we slow down and rest in his grace and his power and his truth through prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, I... I'm sure that there are people in the room that had a a tough 2019. They're wondering if you care about them. They're wondering where you're at. I pray that today would start something fresh and new. Revival would start to happen in their heart and their spirit. There is more of you they need to experience, more of your love, more of your grace, more of your truth. Lord, may they not give up. May they not turn away. May they focus on you with new passion, with new energy, seeking your face, humbling themselves, pursuing you in prayer. Lord, allow us, give us the grace to develop prayer as a habit all over the room, that that God, you would give us that habit. May we run to you today. May we run to you this week. May this year, 2020, be the year that we finally get it together and we finally have a dynamic prayer life all over this room. God, our prayers that you would send revival. That is our heart. Revive us today, God. Lord, we lift up your name. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Allow us, give us the grace to develop prayer as a habit all over the room that, that God, you would give us that habit. May we run to you today. May we run to you this week. May this year, 2020, be the year that we finally get it together and we finally have a dynamic prayer life all over this room. God, our prayers that you would send revival. That is our heart. Revive us today, God. Lord, we lift up your name. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.